Alrighty, and welcome to episode three of Beyond the Snap podcast. I'm uh, your co-host, Kirtan. I'm with Kieran. And this week was very interesting. This was the college football playoff semifinals. And I'm going to kick it immediately to Kieran here as he was in New Orleans to witness the Huskies play the Longhorns. Yeah, so I am live on tape from my hotel room. It is currently December the, uh, January the 2nd. Sorry, you can see how how late it is, Uh, 12.52 a.m., you know, all the good stuff, burning the midnight oil. Uh, And, yes, I just got back from the uh, Sugar Bowl, and I watched Washington beat Texas in um, heroic, terrifying, emotional fashion. Um, So, a final score for those of you that haven't seen it or went to bed at a reasonable time. Uh, 37-31 Washington. Um, so it was it was a it was a good game. It was a really good game. Texas had a shot to win it with one second left. Uh, the pass was incomplete and out of bounds from the 12 yard line of Washington. Uh, they needed a touchdown and an extra point to win. Um, so to me, the biggest factor in this game, there were two factors really, is that Michael Penix was just on the dot. He wasn't pressured. He wasn't really hurried a lot. Um, There were no sacks by the Longhorns front, no real production from them. And that was the biggest factor um, in resulting in me sitting atop this disappointed majority New Orleans. Um, It was crazy. It was like 90% Longhorns fans. There was this little corner that was Washington. I don't know if it was uh, visible on the broadcast. It was... It was a crazy atmosphere. It was a crazy game. Um, wild stuff. Crazy. Lots of crazy stuff. Washington's receivers played, I thought, incredibly well. Um, their O-line, obviously, very stout, allowing zero sacks and, I believe, one tackle for loss. Um, they didn't even need the run game. They didn't use it at all. They were just able to beat Texas through the air. Um, and to me... I think the biggest deal is that they didn't have sacks at all. And the second biggest thing was just the play of the secondary. Uh, there were some plays where kind of the fundamentals broke down, right? You've got a not a cover safety on uh, the slot wide receiver, 101. They played a lot of press man, um, leaving their corners on islands or with a uh, free man safety over the top, who a lot of times couldn't get there to help. Uh, so that allowed Washington to bust a lot of big plays. Uh, the corners got beat a lot. Um, a lot of over-the-head catches. A lot of, you know, not turning their head. And when Washington got down, this was with probably two minutes in the fourth quarter left, they got down to the very, uh, the very you know, end of the field. It was like probably the 10-yard line on a catch over um, the Texas corner, Ryan Watts' head. And it was a crazy catch, but the whole stadium was yelling turn, and he didn't, and they caught it over his head. So to me, I think it was kind of a fundamental breakdown uh, in the Texas secondary. And just they didn't play as well as I thought they would. Um, I thought it was a favorable matchup for Texas, and I think Vegas was right to favor them from having watched the game. Uh, But it's just Washington has that thing about them, that, that unbeatable factor that to me is is their receivers and Michael Penix in that combination, which has allowed them to be so deadly this year. 
and you know setting us up for what I think is an interesting national championship, a more interesting national championship than people think. Um, so yeah, those are my preliminary thoughts on the Sugar Bowl. I'm sure we'll talk about it more. Um, but let's go ahead and have you recap the Rose Bowl, Kirtan. Alrighty, so the Rose Bowl played in California was between the Crimson Tide playing the Wolverines. This was one versus four. This was a very close spread. This was a minus two and a half. A lot of people thought Alabama was going to come into this game and get a win. And so some key takeaways that I found from the game. Jalen Milrow, he seemed confident in all the press interviews. He seemed like he was ready to handle business, but when it came down to the moment, he really didn't. Uh, Jalen Milrow had over a fumble, or he had a fumble during the game. He was making bad reads. Um, there was so many turnovers, and the biggest key factor of this game was mistakes. I mean, there were so many different mistakes in so many different kinds. Sometimes um, Michigan would fumble the, or they would muff a punt, giving Alabama excellent field position. Or what kept happening over and over again was the Alabama center would snap the ball either too low or too far to the right of Jalen Milrow, causing him to not be able to catch the football and then having to take the loss of down and lose yardage. Uh, this was a very poor execution from Alabama, but this game was very interesting. It was very fun. This game ended up going into overtime, which was the first time since Georgia played Oklahoma, exactly in Rose Bowl also, also in the stadium. Um... But it was just a really fun game, really fun atmosphere. Uh, it took two plays for Blake Corm, who I believe is the best running back in the nation. Uh, we'll get into that later if we need to. But Blake Corm took two plays, ran the ball in for a touchdown in overtime, went up 27-20, to 20, and then Alabama drives down the field, drives down the field, get to a fourth and goal within the five yards. And what does Nick Saban call? Really, I couldn't tell you because I thought it was going to be a play-action snap. I thought it was going to be a rollout. He was either going to pump fake down to uh, Bond, Isaiah Bond, or he was going to actually just run for the first or run for the end zone. It was just a design QB sneak. Apparently, it was like a QB draw, and the Michigan defense, which was killer in this game, stopped it immediately. And that was your recap of the Rose Bowl. Um. So yeah, just. It was a really fun game to watch, took it to overtime, and almost like the Texas game, it was a thriller to the very end. Yeah, so I want to say in a minute here, we will get into some of the issues with bowl season, but these two games, they both delivered. They were both thrillers. They were both down to the wire, uh, featuring what I think was four very good teams, and I think that there's there's a chance if you play these games again tomorrow, right, you know, reset the clock, go back in time, play both of these games again, that the outcome is completely different. I think it was dependent, you know, Texas was uh, minus two in the turnover margin due to two fumbles from two different running backs, both in key situations, um, you know, driving on Washington. So to me, you know, that really hurt Texas as well. The mistakes in the Rose Bowl that you discussed, I think all of it really, I mean, it made it for a great day of college football. Um, a lot of good action. And what I think is perhaps a little bit of an underrated national championship matchup. Uh, and I want to just speak to one thing that I heard walking back on the streets of New Orleans uh, from the uh, stadium back to my hotel that there was a Texas fan who was suggesting that, in fact, Quinn Ewers should be benched, should transfer out, 
should do, you know, basically anything but play for Texas. And so what's interesting is he was indicating that, you know, that we should have Colt McCoy back and that Colt McCoy would be a better passer than Quinn Ewers. So I have some stats for you here. So Quinn Ewers in his sophomore year, uh, I'm not sure if this is updated, he had a 70.7 completion percentage, 3,161 uh, yards, and a 9.0 yards per attempt, 21 TDs, 6 interceptions. Uh, Colt McCoy in his sophomore season, 276 completions, 424 attempts, 65.1 completion percentage, 3,303 yards, a 7.8 yards per attempt, uh, 22 TDs, and 18 interceptions. So comparing, you know, as apples to apples as much as we can, of course, uh, to me, you know, it, it's not a fair, it's a very casual fan opinion, and I just wanted to discuss that, uh, that, you know, Quinn Ewers is still a good quarterback. This does not mean that you should throw the baby out with the bathwater. This does not mean that it's over for Texas. This does not mean that Texas will never be in this position again. They've got a really great recruiting class coming in. They've got, you know, I think national championship aspirations next year, certainly playoff aspirations. And to me, I think that it, you know, it's, it's something to build on, certainly. But I also think it was a really close game. And that this very narrow margin of victory and turnovers and everything that happened, really, I think it speaks to two very good football teams and two football teams that were able to, you know, duke it out. And it happened that in this version, in this universe, Washington was the winner. And I think that's very similar to what happened in the Rose Bowl as well. Yeah, and like you said, it any given day, I believe if the game was played tomorrow, if the game was played on any different circumstance – both games could have gone either way. Texas, who knows, they might have taken that underneath route and scored a touchdown. Um, Jalen Milrow maybe would have had ball security, would have held on to that football, maybe wouldn't have fumbled as much, wouldn't have taken as many sacks. But I feel like this was the right choice. Now looking back at the comfortable selections, we witnessed what happened with Georgia versus Florida State, which we'll get into later, but... I think the proper four teams were selected because they did come out and make a great game for every viewer to watch. The the Texas versus Washington game literally went down to the last second, and the Alabama versus the second last second, yeah, yeah, the second last second, all right, on the dot, and then the other game went down to a fourth and goal at the three yard line for a tie for Alabama in overtime. In overtime, I mean, these games were just so fun to watch, and. If you really look at it, if you weren't a fan of the game, if you, were, if you weren't a fan of a team and you were just looking from a fan's perspective, I mean, these were just amazing games. And so I was really happy with the, with not the outcomes, but I was really happy with the games that we got to watch and the entertainment value that we got. All right. Yeah, I think that's a good wrap on that, at least for now. We'll come back to it uh, during our national championship segment and get a little more analytical with it. Um but now we're going to move on to some bowl season kind of wrap-up reactions, seeing what's going on since we've last been um, recorded a show. And 
boy, do we have some doozies. So let, first, let's start with the uh, obvious contender for maybe the worst bowl that has ever been bowled. Um, I don't know how many people saw this coming, but Georgia, Georgia I almost said Georgia State, sorry, um, Georgia beat Florida State 63-3. to Now, Florida State was without Tate Rodemaker, uh, who is, has elected to transfer, and they were starting freshman Brock Glenn, but getting beat by 60 points, which I believe is a bowl game record, by a Georgia team without arguably their best player, Brock Bowers. Um, I mean, it's it shows the committee made the right decision. Um, it shows that Florida State was not a top four team, is not a top four team. And, I mean, it, credit to Georgia. They played an amazing game. They were able to put together this huge blowout win. And... I really think that's a the dogs are very much trending up. They've got that number one recruiting class coming in, um, and I think next year they're a real contender for the title along with several other teams. Um, but yeah, let me get your thoughts on the Orange Bowl, Kirtan. Um, Okay, so first off, I just want to say this, and I kind of want to quote this: "You mess with the dog, you go and get your ass bit," and that's exactly what happened verbatim. I mean. There was a few problems with this game, of course. Uh, the most obvious one was Florida State was sitting out eight of their starting players. I'm talking Keon Coleman. Of course, like you said, Tate Rodemaker didn't play. He's transferring. Uh, Jordan Travis isn't going to play because he's injured. But you were missing eight of your starters, and these are really key players to your team. And the fact that you lost them, basically, it almost seemed like the game was set in stone from the beginning, in my opinion. Because I only had Georgia winning by seven because I thought Georgia would really – I thought it was going to be like a Florida State like prove – like a prove it game. Like if we beat Georgia, we should have been in. It was our uh, right to be in the playoffs. But after this game, all doubts are left behind. I mean the SEC is dominant essentially. And Georgia proved that they – I think Georgia proved more than anything that they belonged in the CFP playoff over Alabama. Um. So, uh, I'll just say this. I'll say, I have a question for you, Kieran. What's next for Florida State, and do you believe they will leave the ACC? So, yes. So, to me, Florida State is, in, in some ways, kind of a bit in the river of college football right now. I think Florida State is, if you had to pick one program to, you know, do a do a little checkup on do check the check the vitals check the transfer portal check the recruiting check the fan base check all those things check the conference all that and decide you know how healthy is college football and what more importantly what direction is college football going and where are we headed what does the future look like to me Florida State is that team um, you know they've had they had losses uh, at position groups before going into that Georgia game. Um, to me, they're still a good team. Uh, I think Mike Norvell has done an excellent job, especially without Jordan Travis in his closing stretch of the season. Um, but to me, they're the indicator. I believe they will leave the ACC. Um, it's a matter of time. It's just, it's not, you know, they're losing out. They're not promoting their brand as effective as they could be. Um, so to me, you know, that's, 
that's obviously you want to get out of that situation if you are a part of the Florida State organization. Um, so I think they will they will be out of the ACC soon. Uh, numbers have been thrown around to get out. Um, I believe it's some as high as half a billion dollars. Um, I believe there's a you know it's a matter of time before they raise that money. And I also think there's a possibility it could come from a, a another firm that we're not expecting, a private company or something. Somewhat like what the Saudis have done, buying a lot of you know uh, soccer teams and golf and all of that, and also you just, I think you know you might have right now you might have a prime opportunity if you're the Elon Musk's, the Jeff Bezos, you know, if it happens that you happen to be a crazy fanatical Florida State team who just happens to have half a billion dollars sitting around waiting to be used, this is the time. This is your opportunity. To promote whatever you want to promote in Florida State football for the next, I don't know, two millennia, something like that. Um, and, you know, I think that's a very interesting direction for how, where college football is headed, and I'm excited to follow the story. Um, but moving on to some of our next bowl games, uh, Maryland took down Auburn 31 to 13, and what I think was a bit of a surprise especially considering the SEC did so well everywhere else. So, yeah, some quick thoughts on the Music City Bowl. Um, yeah. So, in this game, too, his brother, uh, Tulia, decided not to play. He opted out of the game. Um, so, this allowed their backup quarterback, Billy Edwards Jr., to start for Maryland, and he had a monster game. Uh, I believe he went for 126 yards passing and 50 rushing yards with two touchdowns in total. Um... My main thing is that Auburn didn't look like the team that forced Alabama to win the game on a last possession in the Iron Bowl. They looked, like, a little bit frail. They looked a little, like, shaky. I don't know if that was because of all the players that opted out or if they weren't at full strength, but they didn't seem like the team that was willing and gritty enough to go get a win. And I think this was a great way for Maryland to cap off their season. Uh, I heard you had some thoughts about this, right? Yeah, I mean, I think I mean, it's a tough loss for Auburn. You have to wonder where they're going under Hugh Freeze. I don't think, you know, not hot seat by any means, but I think that it's a little bit of a – it's an interesting situation for Auburn, certainly. And, yeah, certainly they were hurt by the opt-outs. But um, I think it's a great win for Maryland, especially with their backup quarterback. And I think this also is kind of an example – we'll talk about this later, a little teaser here um, – how bowl season, I think, might be a little bit broken. Uh, it was nearly impossible, I think, to predict this game with Maryland having a backup quarterback and Auburn missing players. And I think that's a great, you know, kind of just a a showcase of what is kind of what happened in bowl season this year. Um, so... Um, the next bowl is the Peach Bowl, where Old Miss beat Penn State 38-25. to um, I think this was a good game. I think Old Miss played really well. Uh, I think Penn State had some issues, especially defensively. They've been so good all year. Uh, but I also think it's kind of a little bit of, it's a very big fish in a small pool. But when you dump them into the bigger, greater pool of college football, they're not quite as good. Um, so, yeah, your thoughts on this one, Kirtan? Yeah, um, this was one of the. This is the first New Year's Six game we're talking about, uh, and I believe this was a great performance from Ole Miss. I discussed last episode how I believe that the SEC was going to wipe 
through all of the games, all the big, uh, all the New Year's Six games, and this one came true. I mean, Jackson Dart, the starting quarterback for Ole Miss, looked like a unit out there. Uh, he diced up the defense of Penn State, who was supposedly really good. Um, it was just an absolutely insane game for him. He threw nearly 400 yards and had three touchdowns. Uh, Penn State's defense could not stop the two-headed monster that was Quinshawn Judkins. He's a starting running back for Ole Miss. They couldn't stop him, and they couldn't stop Caden uh, Prieskin or Prieskorn, I believe his name. He had about, I believe, over 100 yards receiving and two touchdowns. Uh, this was just a really fun game to watch. Ole Miss, they proved dominance, and like you said, Penn State. When you look at just the center, you, if you just look at Big Ten only, they seem like really like a really good team, but. Now you throw them into the SEC, which is now what's going to end up happening. is just going to be Big Ten SEC, Big Ten SEC. That's what I believe is going to happen. And they didn't perform to as well as I thought they would. Yeah. Um, thank you very much. And now we move on to what I think was perhaps, at least for me, the most enjoyable bowl game of the season. Uh, where Missouri, the feel-good story... Um, beat Ohio State 14-3 to on the back of none other than Cody Schrader. So, to me, I mean, this was a really ugly game for the first half. Um, you know, 3 to nothing until the fourth quarter, and then Missouri turned on the Jets, uh, where uh, Cody Schrader scored a rushing touchdown, and then that was all she wrote. Missouri was able to carry the rest of the way out to a victory. Uh, against a very faltering Ohio State offense. I think it was a great defensive game for Missouri and also a really good defensive performance from Ohio, uh, from Ohio State um, for at least three quarters. It was a really good game, but in the end, you know, that little bit of Schraderia just got stuck in there and he, he was just able to start breaking, you know, five-yard runs, six-yard runs, seven-yard runs, and then he got, got a couple of the big chunk plays, 10-15, and then that was all she wrote. He was able to turn back into that all-American running back that we've seen. And, you know, are so I think at this point beloved, at least by the Missouri fan base. I think all of college football loves his story. So it's great to see him beat a very, very a good Ohio State team um, in such fashion with his team. And I think, to contrary to your earlier point, he is the best running back in all of college football right now. Okay, over Blake Corum. Yeah, I think Cody Schrader is more explosive um, and is a little more shifty than Blake Corum while still having that power and aggressiveness. I agree, but the only reason I said Blake Corum is because Blake Corum has a certain finesse to his game. Uh, he's very patient off the line, especially in this game against Bama. I know you weren't able to see most of it, but uh, in the game, he was willing to wait for his blockers. He was able to basically like analyze the situation he was in and then shift to a different uh, position. Uh, it was a great game for him, but yeah, I can see both sides. Uh, for this game, for the Cotton Bowl, I mean, it was an abysmal. I looked up terms for how to describe or uh, Ohio State. I was going to ask ChatGPT to help me, but the word I landed on was abysmal. There you go. There because you go. Uh, the quarterback, Lincoln, uh, Keenswolves, I mean, it was just a bad showing for Ohio State, especially without Kyle McCord especially without Marvin Harrison. It wasn't a great game. Uh, it almost seemed like the team was falling apart for the like first half of the game. But then it seemed like they pulled it back together. They played really good defense. 
But then, like you said, when Cody Schrader started getting hot, he got hot and then he just started breaking off runs, started scoring more. And the game, it was a very, very uh, low scoring game. And I think it was, it was just, it wasn't a great watch. It was just, I don't know the best way to describe this game. Like I said, abysmal. It wasn't up to your expectations, but like you said, uh, it was a good win for Mizzou and it was a good way to finish off their season. Yeah, you can't spell Cotton Bowl without ugly, and uh, no, I did not pass my second grade spelling test, for those of you wondering. Um, so next we've got the Liberty Bowl, where Memphis took down Ohio State 36-26. to uh, Did not see that one coming. Um, wow. Uh, I mean, yeah. I don't really know what to say. I was shocked. Um, and to me, you know, it's... It was a good Memphis team. They were able to get after Ohio State. They were able to be the aggressor. They were able to, you know, really dominate them, honestly. But I think that, you know, Ohio State certainly has the potential to play better. Ohio State. Iowa State. Iowa, Iowa. yeah. Okay, correct. Um, Yeah, I I'm sorry. Uh, So, you know, to me, it's a great win for Memphis. Uh, I think. Iowa State is still on the up. I think they're going to be better next year. And, uh, you know, a kind of uh, uh, a lawless, nobody on top, Big 12. Um, But, yeah, I think it was a great game for Memphis and a really good win. Yeah, and like you said, I don't think anyone could have predicted this game. I honestly didn't see Memphis even coming – or I didn't even see Memphis winning this game by even getting close. I didn't see it being in seven points. But this was – a good old-fashioned QB shootout. Um, I believe both quarterbacks threw for over 300 yards and three touchdowns. And I think the big, the key difference maker in this game was Memphis was able to solidify a run game while Iowa State struggled in that department. And then once you have the run game going, you got the pass game going, I think it got hard for Iowa State to stop them. And I think it was a great game for Memphis Tigers. I think they came out. I think they uh they were the underdog mentality. They came and they conquered, essentially. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you're right. I think that's a great breakdown. So next in the Sun Bowl, Notre Dame walloped Oregon State, uh, forty to eight. Um, I think this was a you know, it's another blowout win, which is going to be the pattern that you're going to see here. Um, and I think it was it's a good win for Notre Dame. It's a great way to end the season for Marcus Freeman and that crew. Uh, hopefully, you know, get some new recruits in and revitalize their chances. Um, I was a little disappointed with Oregon State. I thought they'd do better. This was another game ridden with opt-outs and impossible to predict. Uh, so let's go ahead and get your breakdown there, Kirtan. Um, Like you said, Notre Dame was without football Jesus for this game. I mean, they had to use backup quarterback uh, Steve Angley, and he threw for three touchdowns. And I believe this will actually be – I think if he stays and plays next year, he'll be a good matchup for Riley Leonard. And honestly, I could see going both ways for who gets the starting position based off of this game. Um, for Oregon State, like Kieran said, it was riddled with opt-outs. You had DJ Uyunglele deciding not to play. Uh, I don't believe – Cam Ward, I think is his name. I'm No, Cam Ward's for Washington State. I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, I just, it was just a great win for Notre Dame. Oregon State, they didn't live up to the expectations that were set on them. And 
really nothing was going on for Oregon State. I mean, I looked into like the little stats of it, and Oregon State the entire game had two positive yards of rushing, factoring everything in. So you can you can't even predict these games. These games are like you said, just blowouts. Hard to predict with all the opt outs with all the people sitting and not playing, but it was well taken care of by Notre Dame. Notre Dame's defense came and showed up and balled out. So moving on, we got the Gator Bowl. We got Kentucky Wildcats versus the Clemson Tigers. This game's final score was 38-35 in favor of the Clemson Tigers. Uh, what were your key factors in this game, Kieran? Yeah, so to me, the biggest thing that I think decided in favor of Clemson um, was the ability of, you know, Kate Klubnick and the competency of their offense uh, and able to use that running game uh, with Will Shipley. And then after he got injured, um, being able to replace that production I thought was key for them. Being able to get that touchdown late to seal the victory and win. Uh, and to me, the thing that kept Kentucky in this one was the fact that Ray Davis played. Uh, we didn't expect him to. We discussed and predicted the game assuming he wouldn't. I was surprised to see him on the field. And I think he was able to keep it close for Kentucky in large measure and was certainly a factor um, towards the Wildcats side helping them, uh, you know, stay close to Clemson and make this one of the only close games uh, that we saw. Yeah, and like you said, it was only a three-point game. Uh, I wish I would have seen more from Kate Klubnik. Honestly, I felt a little let down. He did have a great percentage passing. He went 30 for 41. But on that, I don't believe he had a single touchdown, or maybe he had a touchdown and one interception. Um, it was another high-scoring game, and... I believe this was a really good game for Kentucky, even though they lost in this game. Uh, Ray Davis decided to play, and the good thing is that it made it, it almost gave Kentucky a good way of ending the season. Yeah, you lost to Clemson, but Clemson is considered one of the best teams of previous years, so they have the best coaching in Davos Sweeney. I think he's still a top 10 coach. Um, but Kentucky, they have all these transfers heading into there. And I believe this is almost on the upside for Kentucky Wildcats. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you're right. I think it was a good game for them. I think it was better than expected for them. But I think it's still a good win for Clemson and helps solidify, you know, Dabo's coaching job to turn that team around. So next we have the Alamo Bowl in which Arizona uh, beat Oklahoma 38-24. to um, And to me, this was a really good game. Um Noah Fafita played incredibly, um, and I think that was the difference. Um, Arizona's more settled in, experienced backup quarterback, was able to distribute that ball, get it to where it needed to go, get it to the receivers, and make plays when it counted to put his team on top and carry them through the bowl. And really a great victory over a good team for an Arizona team whose win total was, I think, four and a half starting the season. Yeah, and like you said, you basically wrapped this one up. Arizona, ever since I saw their – they did, like, this fight dance during the, one of the dinners. And ever since I saw that video, I knew those guys were prepared. I knew they looked scary out there. Um, they were one of the most surprising teams of this entire college football uh, – this entire college football season. I believe they were one of the best surprising teams. I think they rounded out a very good year for the Pac-12. And, of course – uh, the Sooners didn't have their star quarterback in Dylan Gabriel as he has left to go to Oregon. And so it showed as Jackson Arnold, the, st uh, the starter over there for Oklahoma this game, 
He had three interceptions on the game. Um, but just it was a well-rounded performance by Arizona. And so here's my question to you, Kern. Do you believe that this is just a one-time thing off fluke season? Or do you actually believe that Arizona will be able to stick the, stick around and keep up these above 500 seasons? No, I think Jed Fish is building a program out there. Um, I think he's got you know a solid foundation, certainly from this year, to build on. Uh, I think they're recruiting well, at least for Arizona. I think he's going to be a solid contender, especially in what seems to be a, a wide-open Big 12 next year, which I actually think is my most interesting conference to watch with all the new members and the chops and changes and the big dogs leaving. Um, to me, that's the biggest thing that's going to change and vary and all of that. And to me, that's what's going to create a really exciting race to the title next year uh, in the Big 12. So next bowl we've got, and I'm just going to run through a few here. Uh, K-State uh, beat NC State 28-19 um, to 19 in the Pop-Tarts Bowl. Uh, in the Pinstripe Bowl, uh, Rutgers beat Miami 31-24. to um, In the Texas Bowl, Oklahoma State uh, beat A&M 31-23. to um, And let's just get your thoughts on a few of those, kind of whatever you want to discuss. Um, I thought the most notable one from that group was the Pinstripe Bowl, Miami falling to Rutgers. Um... I'm not 100% sure. I mean, 2024 is seems to be a, like a make-or-break year for every school in Florida because it's certainly a make-or-break year for Billy Napier. Yeah. And I think it's also going to be a make-or-break year now for Mario Cristobal, especially considering this loss, um, as well as the Georgia Tech incident, um, which I'm sure we're all familiar with. Yeah. I don't think Mario Cristobal is a bad coach. I think he certainly has potential to succeed. I'm not entirely sure that he will, but Miami is recruiting well, and if they continue to recruit as well as they do, that does not translate to on-the-field talent, but to me, that's a good measure of success for Miami, um, if they're in that notoriety, you know, kind of hearkening back to when they were on the top of college football, and to me, that was the most important one of those um, bowls, and I think that, you know, Miami, they'll recover. It's not the end of the line, certainly, for that coaching staff. But I think it's just a little kind of another, another notch in the, notch in the lipstick case, swing at the tree, whatever you want to say, um, towards the end of, you know, and certainly in a downward trend of Mario Cristobal and his coaching. Um, yeah, other than that, Oklahoma State played really well with the power past A and M. I thought, um, you know, still. Obviously, he was not coaching um, Mike Elko, but still concerns for him, certainly, uh, or for him at A&M, especially considering the mass exodus there. Yeah, um, yeah uh, USC got a great win over Louisville. Um, and maybe we just talk about the quarterbacks. Can you offer, like, who could have predicted their quarterback, Miller Moss, throwing six touchdowns? For 372 yards. Who? I don't know one person. Like, uh, when I came into this, my prediction from last week was literally, I think USC is going to get smoked. I think USC, without Caleb Williams, without uh, Rice, I think they have no chance. 
And then homie Miller Moss out here ties Caleb Williams, uh, what do you call it, uh, touchdown record at USC in one bowl game. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think USC has, you know, maybe they've inverted their dive and started to pull out of it. Um, I don't know if he's going to start there next year. Um, I mean, if he continues and performs like this, he certainly should. Um, obviously, we don't know yet if it's just a flash or if it's really going to be him. Um, but I think it, it, it's a big deal for USC, certainly, to get this win. It's unexpected. Um, it's kind of, you know, the waters are so untested, especially in these bowl games. Then I think it was kind of a, you know, it was almost a coin toss. And the fact that he played as well as he did decided the game. And USC was able to come out on top. And I think it, you know, indicates maybe a bright future for them with some of those players that they have managed to retain. Yeah, and I think it's looking up over there. Um, some few more bowls that we are going to discuss or we'll go brief over it was Duke's Mayo Bowl, where West Virginia beat um, – Beat North Carolina thirty to ten. Um, the guaranteed rate bowl. This was Kansas versus UNLV. This final score was forty nine thirty six in favor of the Jayhawks. Um, the Surf Pro First Responders Bowl. This was the first bowl that Texas State has ever been uh, able to enter into or was allowed to go to, and they won forty five to twenty one over Rice. So yeah, just a couple quick thoughts on those games. Uh, starting with Duke's Mayo Bowl, uh, without Drake May and a lot of key pieces over at North Carolina, uh, you can see the struggle. You can see that West Virginia was almost, they were ready for the game. North Carolina really wasn't, and it was it was mainly one side from the very beginning. Um, Garrett Green performed, uh, performed two expectations in a considerable uh, West Virginia win. Uh, for the Kansas versus UNLV guaranteed rate bowl, uh, it was just a big throwing game. Um, Jason Bean, the quarterback, threw for 450 yards with six touchdowns and three picks. While uh, the quarterback for UNLV, Jason uh, Maeva, he threw 300 for three, uh, three TDs. Um, it was just a big shootout game. There wasn't much defense played, but again, that's the entertainment factor. And for the Surf Pro First Responder Bowl, this was Texas State's first ever bowl that they made to, and they decided to win it, or I think they willed themselves to win it, essentially. Um, the objective here almost seemed snap the ball, try to get down to the one-yard line, hand off to Jamil Jeter, and let him shoot it into the goal. And one more thing before I hand it to you is a fun stat that, we didn't, that I didn't really cover was in the first half of the game, in the first half of the Serve Pro First Responders Bowl, Texas State, on their side of their field, uh, like how the fans split a 50-50, they drank all of the alcohol on their side of the stadium. So then at, during halftime, they raided Rice's side for all the alcohol. And by the end of the third quarter, it was reported that there was not a drop of beer left in the stadium at all. Okay, so this is no San Marcos slander. This is no, I'm not, I'm not dogging on Texas State, Texas State fans, any of that. But I am not surprised, shocked, baffled, none of that. I, I don't know if it's expected, but it's certainly not surprising that that was in fact the case. Um, 
And yeah, I think it was a good win for Texas State. Um, I must also mention, however, rice in a bowl. Um, first it was uh, sticky rice, uh, and then the rice got dirty a little later on when all those penalties started getting thrown. This was a yeah. huge bunch of bunch of penalties, penalties all over the place. Um, I think it was a really interesting game to watch and see. Texas State and GJ Kenny looked great. Um, a huge, huge growth for that program. And I think it's really looking up there in San Marcos. And I think some bigger bowl stadiums might have to start looking at expanding their beer budget a little. Yeah. Oh, oh God. So, yeah, I think your analysis was spot on on the guaranteed rate bowl. Um, now, some of the bowls that were played today that did not involve my crushing disappointment um, was the ReliaQuest Bowl, where LSU pulled out what I thought was an amazing win with the help of and you know carriness of Garrett Nussmeyer with a 35-31 win over Wisconsin. Um, then Liberty, or sorry, Oregon thumped Liberty 45 to six, as I think we all saw coming. And this was one of the only things that we predicted that completely and totally came true with no quirks whatsoever. Um, and Tennessee took care of Iowa, um, 35 to nothing, shutting out a, let's be honest, terrible Iowa offense. Um, and, yeah, so those are some of those games. I thought they all pretty much went as expected. Um, two... Uh, you know, kind of blowout wins. Um, so, you know, to me, it wasn't a huge de- de- deviation from expectations, but I think it was, you know, it was a good day of preview action to the, the semifinals to come. And, yeah, like you said, um, the LSU game versus Wisconsin was very entertaining. Even without Jane McDaniels, LSU looked very good. Uh, both QBs had a day, um, but I think, again, it was just talent. I think LSU, I think when it comes down to it, they just have more talent on that field, and I think that's why they won in the end. Um, the Fiesta Bowl with Oregon versus Liberty, like you said, I think a lot of people called this game, and I think the main reason here is because Bo Nix played. Uh, I don't know if Bo Nix is going to declare for the NFL draft. I think he is. I don't know if he'll get drafted, though. But he finished off his final collegiate game with 363 yards and five touchdowns. Um, and Liberty was just outclassed in every way. Uh, it was just, it was hard to watch after a while. But I was really happy for Bo Nix. He looked great out there. And then lastly, for the most, for a game that we watched was Citrus Bowl. This was Tennessee versus Iowa. Iowa's horrid offense didn't do anything, just like we saw against Michigan. And I believe the Nico era has arrived, for those who don't know. Uh, Nico, I don't want to butcher his last name, so I'm not going to say it, but he is the new starting quarterback of the Tennessee Volunteers. And he was a former number one recruit in all of like high school. He was the number one guy. And he had an outstanding game, and he looks to be a really top quarterback for the, uh, for the upcoming years. Yeah, I think that's a – yeah, he had a great game. And a great game for Tennessee. Um, so, we 
We did a little little research, did a little digging, did a little checking some scores, doing some math, and we figured out that the percentage of bowls this year that were decided by two or more scores was 71%. Compared to those bowls, and of that, over half were decided by three or more scores. Uh, and the percent that were decided by one score was only 28%. Um, and a lot of that was an eight-point game, a seven-point game. Um, so, Kirchen, here's the question. Is bowl season beloved, but perhaps a little bit broken? Um, yeah, I. it is broken. Um, for those of you who haven't seen it, there's a clip of Kirby Smart on the internet. And he's basically talking about how bowl season is broken. Um, just take the very first example you, we gave you. We take Georgia versus Florida State. I think if both teams were at its full capacity, if both teams were trying their best, the game would never have ended up the way it did. Um, like you said, it's broken in the sense that you can't even predict these games anymore. I mean, honestly, I don't know how many people really picked Tulane to lose to Virginia Tech. That may have been high. I don't know how many people picked a USC to win without Caleb Williams and West Virginia to beat North Carolina. I mean, bowl season is broken, but I don't think it'll be fixed anytime soon. I don't think it can be fixed because I believe that this is more or less about the personal ideas of the players rather than the team. And like you said, it's beloved, but I don't believe there's really much we can do about bowl season to fix it. You have any thoughts about what we can do? Yeah, so I've got kind of a couple of things here. I think, firstly, the biggest you know factor I think at all of this is the transfer portal. Opt outs have been a thing. I think there are two big factors. There is the meaningless bowl, which used to not be a thing. I know um, some of you were surprised. I was slightly surprised myself. I must admit, um, but it used to not be a thing. It is now a thing. The meaningless bowl is very, very real, whether you like it or not. Um, and I think the transfer portal. Now, I don't think bowl season is dead. I think it will be revitalized at least a little bit with the playoff games um, increasing next year. Although you could argue that they have less meaning and the blah, 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 right? But to me, I think you can fix it. And I think the way to fix it is to fix the transfer portal and the biggest the most serious sense, and also to somehow make those bowls meaningful again. Whether that's with, like, um, some kind of really expanded playoff or what it, what that path looks like, some way to make those bowls meaningful and make those players have a desire to play for their team and suit up one last time. Um, Do you so know if they'll put on. an extent? Oh, well, real quick. Uh, oh, yeah. Do you believe they'll put an extent? incentive on it because I know what you're trying to say with the players playing but what would be the real reason I guess would you give me well I think at the end of the day eventually they're going to have contracts and be paid whether we like it or not um, and at the end of the day those contracts are going to say you must play all of the games this season and that would include a bowl game or I'd imagine they would so to me that would you know that's going to shut that down, but that's a much longer conversation for another podcast. Yeah. Uh, 
So next we have, we're just going to do three tonight, but um, some season reviews, one through ten. Uh, and the first one is Miami. Uh, yeah, so this is my favorite segment. I love doing season reviews. Um, Miami had a better season than the previous one, um, upsetting teams like Clemson, Virginia, and Texas A&M. And this was early Texas A&M. This was with Jimbo Fisher. This is when people thought they were going to do good this year. Um, well, yeah, well, we saw that ended. Um, they kept things close against teams like Louisville, who came runners-up in the ACC. But then, I mean, let's just talk about what a letdown it was with the Georgia Tech game. Some of the losses that Miami had are, were just ugly. And for that reason alone, I think things are trending upwards. But I think instead of it being like this, I think it's more or less in the scale of like 20, 30 degree angle. So I'm going to give them a seven for the season. Yes, I think the season was much better. Uh, I think it's looking up for fans of the U. Um, I think, you know, the fact that I am sitting right here, sitting in front of you at 1.40 a.m. in New Orleans, Louisiana, willing to say that I think the Miami team next year will be better than the one this year, even though I have pretty much no clue. I have some idea, but I do not know for sure who they will be fielding at quarterback. Uh, I'm not, you know, entirely sure exactly about that. I don't know. There are still holes in the team, but I think they will be better. I think Miami's trending up. They had a good season. There were some coaching errors and stuff. And for that, I think I'll, i got to give them a six and a half. All righty. Uh, moving on to our second team, we have Arizona. Kieran, how do you feel about this team this year? I, I love Arizona. I, I think it's great. Um, I, you know, I really don't see how any way that this could have gone better, um, except maybe a Pac-12 championship appearance, but that would have been rough. Um, you know, it's a really good team, a team that's been, that's developed immensely, I think, throughout the year and has become, you know, I think a, a real contender, certainly, um, for the Big 12 next year, and I think you know, in the future, potentially a playoff team in this expanded playoff. Remember, it's 12, not 4. Uh, I'm not that crazy. Um, and I think it's a great season for them, and I can't really find anything to knock them for, uh, other than, I guess, losing their starting quarterback. But I, th I think i got to go a 10 out of 10. I know I may give too many out, but, you know. I, I, there's nothing I can downgrade them yeah. for. You know, it's it's a lost points, not a gained points kind of system here. I agree. For me. I agree. And I literally wrote one word for this team. I wrote outstanding. This year, this has been a perfect year, going 10-3. and three, And you dropped games to only big teams. You only dropped games to USC in triple overtime, remember. You lost the game to number two Washington, who we now know is going to be competing for the championship. And you lost games to, and you lost a game to SEC uh, Mississippi State, but that was also an overtime game. Um, the way they played this year was literally outstanding. That's the word to find. Um, they capped off the game with a big win against the uh, Oklahoma Sooners, winning the Alamo Bowl. And like you said, there isn't. If you look at their season with a microscope, I would find it really hard to find something so minor or something that would really dock them 
And for this, I have a perfect 10 out of 10, too. Alright, so next we move to our last one for tonight. I assure you there are many more to come, along with a unique uh, locker room culture segment and stuff for future episodes. That will be for another time, but for now, we're going to give Oklahoma State a season review. Um, yeah, this is another team with a tremendous year this year. Um, they only lost game, the uh, only losing for games this year, uh, four games meaning. Um, I don't know what to say. I mean, Mike Gundy, the head coach over at Oklahoma State, did amazing job. He ended up winning Big 12 Coach of the Year. Uh, they did drop games they probably shouldn't have. Like, they dropped a game to South Alabama, which is a group of five team. They lost to UCF. But, I mean, I believe it was a really good game or a really good season for them in general. They routed the Big 12. They came second, coming right behind Texas. Again, a team competing or who competed for a playoff spot. Let's not talk about it now. But after this year, I have to give them an 8.5 out of 10. Okay, yeah. I think Oklahoma State had a great season. I think they kind of came from a little bit of no- nowhere. Um, so, yeah, I think it, it's a good season for them. Um, I think there's certainly some games that they won that they probably shouldn't have won. And there are a couple of games that, to me, you know, weren't the greatest. But I think it's not really worth docking them a whole lot. Um so I think, yeah, a solid 8 out of 10 season, a good coaching job from Mike Gundy. Um, yeah, so next we're going to move on to our little transfer portal corner. Um, so Cam Ward has said that he is going to Miami or to the draft, and I believe he is now formally declared from the, for the draft. I'm not sure that's 100% final. But at this point, that's what it all looks like. So Miami still does not have a quarterback. Um, DJ Uyunglele, uh looks like Florida State's top prospect at the moment. Uh, Walter Nolan is headed to Old Miss. Evan Stewart is out at A&M, a big-time wide receiver. Walter Nolan, obviously, the top-ranked D-lineman from A&M. Uh, so... Another thing I thought was interesting and worth talking about is Dylan Gabriel and Dante Moore will be bumping heads at Oregon, getting two quarterbacks in the transfer portal. And you have to wonder exactly what Dan Lanning's thinking there, uh, what the rationale is, uh, if they like one over the other, and if one is going to end up transferring in and being a backup. Um, Yeah, and Ole Miss right now has the number one portal class, which is going to make them dangerous next year. And that's pretty much, you know, anything in the portal. Anything you want to hit there, Kirtan? Um, yeah, I mean, real quick, like you said, if Cam Ward decides to declare for the draft, this leaves Miami in an awkward position as they won't have a quarterback as Van Dyke is choosing to enter the transfer portal and has left. Uh, Uyunglele will be Florida State's top prospect to be quarterback. Uh, this will be a very interesting thing because I wonder how he'll perform, especially if they do leave the ACC. Uh, Walter Nolan to Ole Miss. I don't know what it is with Ole Miss. Ole Miss, I wonder if it's culture-based. I wonder if it's money. But Ole Miss is having a really great year in the portal, overtaking Colorado for the number one spot. Um, A&M is losing so much talent. This looks like, what do you call it? It's almost like 
per it's like perjury. Like they're just killing off everyone essentially. Uh, with Walter Nolan leaving, Evan Stewart leaving, and then yeah, the big one is just uh Moore and Gabriel, like you said, are bumping heads at Oregon. I personally believe it'll just be a battle, and I wonder for the first two games if one of them or if they'll split minutes. But I believe what's going to end up happening is I believe Dylan Gabriel will take the reins for this year and more will develop underneath the system. And then he'll start the uh, following year, 2025 year, and then he'll enter the draft as one of the top prospects. All right. I think that's yeah potentially what could be going on there. Um, so next we move to national championship. Uh, we're going to do a little prediction, a little analysis here, get you that before the game. Um, and just to clarify, the, I have not hit the bottle. Uh, this is just helping my throat from a long night of uh, yelling for my poor Texas Longhorns. Um, but, so, the national championship, uh, for those of you who have been living under a rock or have not paid attention to what we have said, will be the Washington Huskies squaring off against the Michigan Wolverines. Um, it's the Battle of the Canines as I am now calling it. Um, so yeah, this is going to happen in Houston, Texas, the most wasted home field advantage in the history of home field advantages. Um, so, yeah, it'll be, I think it'll be a more interesting game. Now, certainly it was not the Texas-Alabama matchup that everybody but Michigan and Washington fans wanted. Um, or the Texas-Michigan or any kind of, you know, more headlining matchup, but I think Washington has had a great season. I mean, credit to them. They've played really well. Um, and I think that, you know, I think Michigan, ma- Michigan, Michigan matches up better against Washington than Texas does. Um, they have a better secondary with Will Johnson and Mikey Sainer still, uh, kind of headlining that group. And... To me, they have the same physical front that Texas has. I don't think they're quite as good, quite equal. Um, they have a good quarterback in J.J. McCarthy. They have some good receivers, Colton Loveland, um, Roman Wilson, uh, among others. And they have a good O-line. So to me, I think they match up well. Um, and also, Michigan has a killer pass rush. They've been able to especially in this end of the season, into the Bama game, especially. They've been able to disrupt and harry and distract, which Texas was not able to do. I think Texas has a very good pass rush. We will see if Michigan's better uh, next Monday night. Um, I don't necessarily know that it is. I can't 100% say that it is. I think Washington's offensive line is better than Bama's. Um, at least certainly more consistent than Bama. And to me, I think Michigan matches up better in the secondary. Washington will still make big plays. They're still going to have big catches because that is Washington. I think Michigan will still be able to rein in that run game. It's going to force them to take it to the air. And I think the, the question, I think the question now transfers from a – the question that was coming into this is can Texas get after the quarterback, right? Um, and they didn't, and Washington won. Now the question is, can Michigan get after the quarterback? Can they pressure Michael Pinnock? Because I believe he has a 20% drop in completion rate and a larger drop in productivity when he's outside of the pocket and when he's consistently under pressure, uh, which did not happen in this Texas game. Um, 
And the question is, is will Michigan be able to do that? Will they be able to get better, uh, better, better blitz looks, um, and be able to mix up the, you know, get shifts, uh, all kinds of stunts, all of that. And to me, that's the biggest question. That's the biggest question I have going in. Uh, I think Michigan will do a little better. I think Washington did a really good job of preparing for Texas. Um, better than Texas did. They won't have this the, as much time to prepare for Michigan. I think Michigan is overall the better team, and I also think Michigan is more committed. While Washington, I'm sure, is very, very driven, I think Michigan has that special, that culture, that unfeelable, that calmness, that poise, which we didn't see in the first quarter of the Rose Bowl, but they were able to maintain it and come back and win it against a formidable, formidable Nick Saban Alabama team. And to me, that's, that's the biggest uh, victory for them. And I think they roll into uh, this final knowing that they had probably the toughest matchup in the semifinal. And, I mean, I like Michigan to win it. Um, I think they'll win it by seven. I think it'll be somewhere in the vicinity of 42-35 Michigan. Yeah, and just for my part, um, like you said, Michael Penix today in New Orleans, he showed that I believe he's probably the best quarterback. I think he's better than Jaden McDaniels. Uh, he carved up Texas secondary, no offense, but like, I think yeah, y'all's biggest problem was that y'all didn't get any pressure on him, and he was able to sit in the pocket with a calm head, drop the perfect pass, and that's what ended up what that's what led them to get the win and so based off what i saw for washington when they played bama today washington was very disruptive that's the best word for them uh they were always in the backfield they always pressured jalen milrow and jalen moore was forced to either make a run play that would only result in two yards or he had to dial one up and probably throw a pass that was very contested and that's what led michigan to come out on top and again, they played Alabama, so Alabama has multiple weapons. Alabama is a very well-rounded team. Their defense is very formidable, but they were still able to prevail. And so I think this game will be in the same realm. I think it will be seven points. I think the spread will open up at three and a half for Michigan, but I don't believe it will be as high of a scoring game. I think Michigan likes their slow pace. They like their control, uh, control type of game. So I think this one's going to end up being 35-24, Michigan. All right, I think that's that's great. Um, so, yeah, I think that kind of wraps up. Um, it's been a great season. Uh, obviously, it's not over yet, but when we uh, record again, it will be for um, – for, uh, you know, for next year, uh, focusing on the next year and starting to get into that kind of off-season talk and debate. Um, thank you all for listening. Uh, the support has been really amazing. Um, we've been, you know, working on this and we're so excited to be growing uh, into 2024 and uh, this first new year uh, with the Beyond the Snap podcast. Um, thank you all for listening. Um yeah, we'll get this up as soon as possible. It's really late. I apologize for the little little bit of brain fog. We wanted to get this done and get it out 
uh, as soon as possible to give everybody our thoughts, um, and so you can witness my Texas disappointment. Um, yeah. Yeah, thank you very much, uh, and thank you for listening. Um, I, that's it for me. Kirtan, do you have anything? Nope, just if you have any questions, please email us at Beyond the Snap Football. Um, and yeah, have a good night. Thank you.